Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? Uh, I'm doing just fine. My flying saucer landed on time for the podcast, so I'm uh, filled with vim and vigor. How are Super. you feeling? Oh, not too bad. I think it's, it's good to know that uh, inter- intergalactic travel is, is running on time. So we can do one thing. We can keep the flying saucers running on time. Oh, you're, um, you're not. You humans aren't doing it. Yeah. I just want to be clear about <laughs> that. You guys can't get trains to go properly. No, this is true. Yes. Yeah, we're never going to achieve interstellar travel, really, are we? Um, anyway, what we're going to be doing in this episode, there's no film this episode. We're going to be talking about a bunch of films. We are going to be doing a sort of a mini interlude on our usual um journey through the years we're going to go back and we're going to do a review and a sort of backwards discussion on all of the films that we covered in our 50s block we've talked about several films within our 50s sci-fi canon i'll give a rundown we talked about when worlds collide from 1951 it came from outer space 1953 them from 1954 uh, the quatermass experiment 1955 earth versus the flying saucers 1956 the Quatermass, or the sorry, Quatermass 2, 1957, and The Tingler, 1959. So a good spread throughout the decade, and some British and some American sci-fi, and also from a whole bunch of genres. I think we covered a real gamut of the decade, really. Um, and so I think we should start with, as a general term. Really, did what were you? Did you enjoy doing these fifties films? You know, I did, and then. When I'm looking back on my ratings, I think they're lower than past seasons. You know, um, I don't know how many of these are are good films, mm. but I'm glad to have watched them. And I definitely enjoy, you know, the thing about sci-fi is I always enjoy, you know, I'm incapable of not enjoying uh, finding something good about every yeah. sci-fi film. Um, but I, I legitimately enjoyed several of these, you know, if not all of them on some level. What about you? No, similar. I think really, I think the, the it's an experience I'm glad we've done. It's one of those things that sort of it's a decade that doesn't we don't you know really touch on. I think um there's a lot of films from sort of like the sixties, you know, starting with sort of um two thousand and one and moving forward to so that sort of a lot of people know and talk about and then well into the seventies and eighties. So it's sort of like it's almost like a break in 1960 when these, you know, when people's film knowledge really starts. So the 50s never gets talked about. So I didn't know much about a lot of these films. Like I was aware of some of them and, and you know, probably more so than, than some of the others. But to do them all, it was really interesting to me. Sort of from a, just almost like a filmmaking standpoint as well. Just like watching how some of these were made was quite interesting. Um, and like you, though, that sort of, I don't think my ratings are as high as I... If anything, my ratings aren't as high as I thought they would be. 
mm-hmm. when I sort of came back to think about them. Um, but I definitely enjoyed them. I really did. I think the question is, will I come back to any of them? There's a couple I probably will do, and you probably have to guess which ones. But there's, yeah, I think it was. It's it's, it's an interesting bunch of films. Um, yeah, but, you know, the other thing is that a lot of them are memorable for things other than what we typically like in films, right? Like, you know, I don't, I don't know that any of these. I mean, like. Quater Mass is a is a is a kind of memorable character. I you know I don't know that I could tell you outside of that and his name is in the title any of the characters' names you know. Um, but like I mean, the Tinkler's known for its uh, sort of metafictional aspects. Um, you know, you have the sort of like Earth versus the Flying Saucers, Ray Harryhausen stuff. Uh, you know, the giant ants. I mean, mm. they're fun and they're known for things that are uh, different than the usual considerations of uh, a character who we really love or believe in or communicating something especially deep. Uh, all of those things are sort of a, a little a little light here. Would you describe them as disposable? No, I think and, that's and going not, too it, far. Yeah. yeah. I mean... I think they were meant to be in most mm. cases, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, you know, I also think that even most good art was was meant to be disposable in the sense that it was meant to, you know, have a theatrical run and mm. um, you know, not not last. It certainly wasn't meant to be talked about seventy years later. Yeah, I know what you mean, and I think there's there's some of these did feel. Um, w- weirdly, of them, the, you know, they sort of formed. I think Earth versus the Flying Saucers is the one that sort of jumps to mind. It was fun, and like I said, the the the, the Ray Harryhausen uh, modeling and stuff is is quite is really cool. Um, but it's, it felt like the most disposable of all of them. Um, and I think we sort of said that in the show. It, it's very much like it's good fun. It's almost like blockbuster cinema. You know that blockbuster model at the time. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to show you this, and you're going to see the spectacle. But there's very little thematic behind it. Like you know, it doesn't really want to make a comment on it. But it's just a look. We got five sources, and they look pretty cool. So that was the one that sort of came to me. The others, I think, sort of weirdly, as you say, are designed to be. Um, you know, probably shown once and they may turn up again in double features and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But they're definitely not now. It's, this is this is a different filmmaking era than now when you can watch like a Transformers film and, the, you know, Michael Bay be like, well, what we're actually dealing with is, you know, like it, 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 there's none of that. There's not a sort of like, oh, I was trying to think about the sort of, like, you know, what is it true to the human essence when I was making this werewolf movie or, you know, this, this other film. It's like, no, no, we're trying to make a film that's about giant ants and... Right. Yeah, and I mean, them is the other example like that yeah. for me. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, it's sort of expected now that, you know, even, uh, you know, it's like... Uh, Fast and the Furious is about family. <laughs> Come on, you know. Yeah. Well, they, they did, I mean, even now, we, we, you know, there's been films, I think, Snyder, and I'm not going to be a Snyder basher. Uh, well, at least not for long. But even like with Army of the Dead, that you made recently with Netflix, like they did a making of, and they were, there's bits in that, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, what we're trying to show is this, and we're trying to portray this about the human condition. I'm like, it's a zombie film. 
set in Vegas. It's you know, and you've got like you know, it's, it, it, you don't have to try and present everything. And I think like these are the good entertainment. These were really good entertainment, and I kind of like that element as well, if I'm honest. Yeah, and I and I I have a, I mean, certainly as a writer, I have that feeling of like this. Every story should be about other things, or should be grounded in at least thematic mm. points, right? Having said that. Uh, I really hate it when people do that and, you know, you sort of like call bullshit on the the, the Comic-Con interview kind of thing <laughs> where, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Superman punching something, you know, is not a metaphor for teenage suicide. OK, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't think that, you know, that was an intent of the 50s. We haven't gone back any no. further. Um, if anything, I still feel that, like, you know, if you, I don't know if you, if you go back to the 30s or, you know, I've watched 30s films. I mean, I've watched a lot of the, you know, the classic sort of, um, the Hammer, not the Hammer Horror, so the Universal monster movies mm. and all that kind of thing, a lot of others. I don't, I don't think that was there then, but it was, there was still a definite, um, it, 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 saying that, I don't know. No, I think, I think they do a better job. I mean, you know, in fact, uh, you know, if there's one other sort of like decade block that, you know, more than any other that I'd love to do is pre-50 stuff. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously, like, you know, Metropolis, mm -hmm. you know, Frankenstein, mm. Bride, of, Bride of Frankenstein. But there's also, uh, you know, a lot else that's sort of been, you know, forgotten and isn't seen as much. Um, but when you think about, like, even, you know, Frankenstein and, and Bride of Frankenstein, I mean, they definitely depict a sort of sense of, like, oh. the persecuted outsider, I mean, yes. and mob mentality. I mean, there's deeper stuff going on there. That's not true of all of the monsters. I mean, King Kong is just King Kong, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not... Uh, it's not a metaphor for anything. It's it's a big ape, you know. I mean, <laughs> well, people, there's that love people thing. Have tried end. every film. People will try and give it, um, you know. And I won't go into King Kong. That's a different show, maybe one day. But yeah, uh, um, you're right, and you you actually probably right. But why is that? I mean, you know, we didn't choose these films hmm. on any premise. You know, there was no sort of like, oh, I want to do this because they are. The... We chose them because we know the films, or we we wanted to watch them. And you know what? What is it then in '50s cinema that sort of I don't want to say devoid of a thematics or or anything? Because I think some of them did have some a little bit. I mean, you know, when worlds collide, there's definitely got sort of like some things in there. We're able to talk about the idea of they push for a future generation, which feels very appropriate for a post-war um, America. Um, you know, in Quatermass Two, we talked about the, you know, well, it's also in the idea of bureaucracy and and unionization and stuff like that like you can see some of it in there but it's tough to pull out like i don't think it's there as sort of like intended subtext in many cases mm -hmm. um but what is it then about 50s cinema that sort of that took that away well i mean my theory is uh what was going on both in america and in hollywood at the time that uh, you know censorship is much stronger you know mm. in this period there's, um, you know, you, you're into the Red Scare, basically, by the time the 50s start. Um, you know, that stuff really started in the late 40s. And um, so 
you know, there's a lot of censorship and self-censorship and those sort of, um, you know, expectations uh, that a film should have something to say that I think you see in the ambitious films of earlier um, sort of just goes away. Um, I think the deepest we get this season is it came from outer space with a mm. sort of idea of like, they're not violent aliens. Right. Yeah. And mankind's um, inability to trust. Right. Like, I don't know if there's a danger there. Probably nuke it. <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that gets into, you know, some deeper stuff, but it's, it's, it's more grace notes, right. Yeah. Than, than you would expect in, in other stuff. So I don't know. That's my theory. No, I agree. I, I was thinking the same in this thing of, of like you say, um, you know, cause what you, in the early fifties, you do get like McCarthyism and, and the red scares there. So, and especially in Hollywood at this period sort of, from the forties, like straight, well, it happened well, post post-war straight on. There was this fear of being blackballed, wasn't there? So if you could be pointed out for specific things that, that were rampant in the thirties and before the war, like, you know, you know, well, this this producer or this director was clearly a homosexual, and you go, well, yeah, but they were. You you knew that ten years ago, so what's the problem now? But like, right. but you know, but then there's things like, well, this film they've written has a communist or can be seen as having a commie theme, then mm. that's it, your career's over. Yeah, so I can yeah. I, I I can imagine that there was this thing of like reading through scripts and going, yep, yeah, no, that's fine. There's nothing here that can be read into it. I've tried to mm. keep it devoid of message. It's just entertainment, possibly for you know in in this sort of uh, for you know like you said for fear of, of of being persecuted or outed or sort of like you know if, if, if impacting their career. I mean, we've looked at sci-fi films, and you know I don't want to go too far afield, but like you know I wouldn't I do wonder if that was applicable to other cinema types. I mean, you you know westerns were still the big 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 thing in the fifties. Was it still applicable? You know, does it, could you see that same thing there, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I don't think it's as extreme as this batch. And and there are uh, there are sci-fi films from the 50s that I think are deeper than this. Um, you know, uh, we have looked at... Um, what would you... Well, we looked at Forbidden Planet, right? Sure. I mean, that's 56. Yeah. Uh, I think that's... It's not super deep, but that's, you know... It's made on a different level. Um, the Day the Earth Stood Still is one of my favorites from 51. Mm. And that's clearly a deep, you know, movie. Um, but I think I think the 50s were also, for as much as it's sort of like the nostalgic decade for Americans, uh, especially baby boomers, it was a really superficial decade, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, okay, I'm not immune from the charm of a, a malt at the ice cream shop yeah. and, and, you know, all of that and drive-in theaters and, you know, the uh, the sort of drive-in um, burger places kind of thing. But, and there's an aesthetic there. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, all of that stuff is really sort of superficial. It's not like, you know, when you look back on, like, the, the 90s, you think of, like, you know, nirvana and you know stuff that was about something or the 60s it was about you know you know woodstock and you know mm. peace and love and issues like that and the war the 50s are just sort of like don't rock the boat we <laughs> like our creature comforts you know? yeah well i think the thing is although it 
the thing the thing to it is still a post-war. You've had five years, and I think you know we we've got to accept as well in this modern time that things move faster mm. nowadays. You know, and not to sort of um, you know, downplay any any tragedies or any wars that have happened, but like you know, we we don't talk about you know, off air. You were talking about things, and you know, we've got five minute memory these days. Like, you know, major things happen, and we're like, yeah, it's a real tragedy, and we'll probably remember it on this day every year. But the impact, I mean, you know, there have been events, um, you know, nine eleven being the, the, obviously the major one. But like th- this was like, you know, um, the world war, World War Two had an, you know, a global impact, and you know, a lot of these films are made in the shadow of that, where there are people that are starring in these films that were probably, you know, fought in the war, um, at least in some of the earlier ones. Um, but also this idea of like, say, this is a, a boom, a boom. Or at least they're trying to make it a boom decade, where they're like, yeah, it was awful. That thing in the forties was horrible and dreadful, and we lost you know millions of people globally, and we've ended up in this sort of like you know global sort of cold war with this other superpower. So we just want to focus on us. We want to keep everything like you say, hunky dory. Mm. Don't rock the boat. Let's just you know keep it sweet and i suppose that's sort of what it is isn't it it's that thing of sort of like almost like protectionist psychologically to an extent of like yeah we don't want to do anything too big like we've got to keep it stable which i sort of understand but it makes it very bland in that respect yeah i I mean i think the best way of looking at it is sort of like the peace dividend right where it's like okay well we've been through that the 50s were I mean, you know, maybe the best thing you could say about that American nostalgia is that it was like it was our time, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, America was, you know, despite fears of the missile gap and the bomber gap. I mean, America was on top of the world. Mm. Um, and so the, that's one reason why nationalists look back to it. Um but then the flip side of that is, yeah, it was a really bland decade. And, you know, the food was, you know, crap. Uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, you know, there are no black people in those uh, Norman Rockwell paintings, you know, yeah. um, you know, not a lot of gay people in these movies. You know? Well, uh, not not outed, at least. I'm pretty sure. Yes. <laughs> Statistics would would show. Plus, yeah. you know, they're in the arts. And uh, so. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I say that's it does reflect in these films because even films like I, them, I think really was was the big surprise for me. Uh, well, no, it, it, biggest disappointment. Let me say I enjoyed the film, and you know it was interesting for us to be able to make those um, comparisons to like Aliens, um, you know, and, and like Tremors and those sort of like mon- desert monster films in the first half. Um, that was really interesting, but a film about giant ants and the atomics—you know, this thing of nuclear fear—it's it, sort of like it's like a passing thing in the film. Like uh-huh. it never yeah. really comes up. Where they're like, "Yes, this is the fear of the." It's sort of it's mentioned, and then there's like a, a slight thing at the end of, um, you know, they say like, you know, well, "How many of these bombs have we tested?" In the you know in that sort of Nevada desert and we don't know what's out there, um, which is fine and it's it's in, but like the counter to this, I mean, them came out the same year as Godzilla. Exactly. 
And like, exactly. you know, and granted, it's, it's it's almost like it's, it's the counter to this thing of like, well, Gojira, you know, Godzilla is is Japan dealing with this the horror and the hangover of you know Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and and, and that's what you know Godzilla represents this destruction and this nuclear sort of like flora, and in America you get this sort of like not paper thin, but you get this sort of like you know entertaining things like well we were testing them over here before we destroyed a nation and now so you know i, I was expecting a sort of like well this is the price we pay for our nuclear mm-hmm. thing you know it's almost like a, a remorseful film in some way or some kind of message none of that and i was really surprised by that yeah that's a very good point and i mean and essentially the the acting agent in in both them and godzilla is the same right yeah but in godzilla godzilla's rampage you see these victims, right? Mm. I mean, them is cool with going through the tunnels in LA and everything, the storm tunnels. But it's mu- it, it is exactly as you say. I mean, there's it's not just paper thin. It it papers over even logical concerns, right? Even <laughs> even like you know basic human empathy over these victims of these ants and stuff. Uh, or basic questions you'd ask. I mean, at, at the end, it ends with uh, the point about like, you know, well, how many, how else is this going to happen, right? Is this going to mm. happen to other species? You know, are we are we really in for it? Uh, but that's much more a sort of like, it feels like, oh, that's just teasing a possible sequel or that's like a wink, wink way to end the, the show instead of Godzilla, which feels like a real movie. I mean, it feels devastating. Um, you know, uh, when you see the wreckage caused by Godzilla, they don't shy away from no. um, the horror. Yeah, and and it was things like that that I think you know when I was going into this, I was expecting. Um, you know, I, I could list off most of these where you sort of go, okay, well, I was expecting some sort of allegory or mm. you know metaphor to be presented, at least in part of the film. Like again, Earth versus the Flying Sources. When you have an Earth versus film, you know. <laughs> I was expecting again, like, oh, this is going to be like you know a bit. Um, I was I was expecting more uh, invasion of the body snatchers than than Mars attacks. You know what I mean, mm. I didn't re- mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was watching the sort of like the basis for Mars attacks, like yeah. literally in some scenes. Um, and again, going into that, I was expecting this thing of like you know you said as you said about the uh, the, the you know the missile gap and the, the the jet you know the gap in that sort of thing and this thing about. This idea of our we we are short of technology against a greater foe. Mm. Is that what they're going to explore? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. But it, again, I was it's it's, it's an, I you know it's not it's fine that it's not there. Not you not every film has to have a, a you know a, a deep theme and something to say mm. separate. Like you know sometimes I think they should. But it just felt it felt strange that these sort of like open goals were there, and you're like. Oh, okay. Yeah, you didn't go there. That's fine. Well, and I and I think that's where I come back to that idea of like papering over, right? Mm. That you know, like thinking about the nuclear, uh, the effect of nuclear weapons, uh, them versus Godzilla. Them is adamant about not thinking about it, right? Yes. Uh, I mean, this is an America that knew that uh what it was like in hiroshima and nagasaki but you know i mean those reports had been published that was not any big secret but 
didn't want to think about it. You know, that, those are our bombs. Yeah. Yeah, there's a side effect. But let's not think about it. Let's get our chocolate malt. I mean, that's not quite fair, but it's not exactly wrong either. Um, and I think Earth versus the Flying Saucers, you know, is the, is the same way. There's a sort of like, you know, those metaphors are right there. Um, and, and, you know, you'd think, okay, well, I mean, this is also like putting it in the context of World War II. This is sort of like that American can-do spirit that's like, yeah, you know, we're the plucky upstart nation that, you know, hey, now we're on top of the world, bucko, you know? Yeah. Like, all right, you know, reap the rewards. But there's no sort of, um, like, you know, nobody wants culturally, at least the scene in this part of American culture, to sort of stop and say, you know, we got really lucky. Yeah. Not everybody else is really lucky. I mean, even in like Worlds Collide, the sort of myopia of, you know, let's just put a, a boatload of white Americans on a, on a plane and ship them to another planet. <laughs> Good enough. Humanity will survive. There's nothing outside of America. Um, I don't think you would have seen that in other decades. Um, no. You certainly, I mean, before World War II, America was much more aware of itself as part of a continuity of nations, you know. Yeah, it seems, you know, <clears throat> this idea of sort of like the exceptionalism as being the top dog. Like you say, they didn't want to rock the boat. And, and, and is, is it that like, papering over the cracks, I suppose, or, or papering over the obvious is probably exactly what it is, isn't it? It's that thing of like, you know, we are the best at the moment. We are the top dog. Or at least, we, you know, we are presenting ourselves as such. Um, and we don't really want to have to highlight that. You know, we were we weren't we may be the biggest nation, but we weren't here twenty years ago mm -hmm. or thirty years ago. Well, you know, definitely twenty years previously, the Great Depression, we weren't in this position. So yeah, I suppose it is that of sort of like grab it whilst it's there, sort of be that whilst it's there. So, um, it is, yeah, well, I suppose. And, and and I mean, there's a kind of willfulness, is what I'm sort of saying about the sort mm. of like not looking at the horrors of the bomb. Right. Yeah. And, which was accurate to the time. Right. I mean, there's a there's a willfulness of not looking at Jim Crow. Right. Yes. Um, I mean, there's a willfulness in all of this um, that, you know, the only anxiety that was sort of permitted in dominant, you know, I mean, I hate using the word, but sort of like hegemonic powerful, dominant American society. The only fear or anxiety that was acceptable was fear or anxiety of the communists, mm. which was, you know, a poor and broken country in Russia <laughs> that had a lot of people, but was nowhere near us in terms of anything but people to throw at the Nazis. And again, not minimizing what Russia did in World War II. It, it won World War II as much or more than we did. But, um, but... We built a hundred thousand bombers, you know. Yeah. Uh, they threw, you know, millions of people, um, and so you know, there's there's a sort of, but that anxiety was permitted. But sort of the anxiety of like, yeah, we're depressed in our white suburbias that literally don't allow black people, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, people are still gay. They're just closeted and killing themselves in a lot of places. Um, yeah, I mean, all of this is, uh, you know, is very, uh, it, there's a sort of willful 
not mm. looking at any of these problems that I find. No, that's a good point. Like it, it's a sort of yeah, if you want to have this thing, but like I say, not look at what it, like I say, there's own goals, there's big open goals that they could do, which would clearly be there today. Uh, going back to though, the one you said before though, it came from out of space. Mm. Is probably one of the ones that really does have this. And, you know, there are several things that you you can look at it there, like you know the way that the the scientist um, uh, approaches the aliens, the way that they sort of like you know <clears throat> um, he's the one that sort of like you know um, looking to have a peaceful discourse with them, and and yes, there's some there's some moments when like you know they'll use lasers and stuff, but it's 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 us as the like you say as the humans, it's the trust issue and this other thing, like you know that's clearly in that film, and and again. Um, yeah, this idea even of, of um, the alien races, you know, the alien says about well, we, we've had to imitate the people from your town because you can't handle the way we look. Um, you know, and they get presented, and again, it's it's, it's a it, you could what well, we did, and we you look at it and go, yeah. Oh, that's a clear reference to you know, um, people let's say being closeted or hiding, whether it be political affiliations or sexual orientations or whatever. Like, you know, it's it's almost like they're not so much in your face, but you can clearly see it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think that's one of the films I was like, oh, this is quite cool in that sense. It's got those things. Yeah, and it's interesting to me that, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the, an FX blockbuster. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think Earth versus the Flying Saucers is fine. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a vehicle for Ray Harrahausen, and it is exactly what it wants to be. I think in some ways, like, that is more forgivable to me than them, you know, mm. which mm. sort of skirts up against those issues and then avoids them right you know willfully looks the other way um i think earth versus the flying saucers is is much i mean look obviously them is hey look giant pants you know (laughs) but earth versus the flying saucers is just you know yeah watch earth fight the flying saucers you know i mean and and watch ray harryhausen's effects i don't there's a room for that and i don't Mm. want to I don't want to force all of cinema or comics or any art form to fit in a particular mold. And I don't think that any given movie should be or comic or book should be forced to bear the weight of the entire culture. You know, Um, you know, there's room for it. Having said that, it is telling that the one that I like the best is it came from outer space. And it's exactly Mm -hmm. because of those things. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, like I say, Earth First the Flying Saucers was was good fun. Um, it's Independence Day, sort of like you know, forty years before Independence Day. Like it's clear where that model comes from. It's it's Independence Day. It's it's when Mars attacks. It's you know, it's it's all that, and it, it's it's got some great moments. It's got some interestingly laughable moments, like you know, when they say they're going to return them those people, and they just push them off a spaceship and so oh, yes. they, they come crashing to earth like um it, yeah, there's you know, a it, lot of that sort of like we said one thing and now we're doing another like the scenes yeah. not ma- matching up quite yeah yeah um so yeah it has good moments and i quite enjoy you know um there's there's some good bits to it and again it is will i watch it again yeah I'm, you know if i come across it i may i may end up watching it at some point in the future but yeah i, I agree like i got more from it came from outer space. Like it's it's a, it's weirdly like it's a smaller film, mm, mm-hmm. but 
it has a much more sort of interesting take on on that concept of an, a crash spaceship. Um, you know, like the fact that like they keep saying in the film, like, well, what if they aren't invading? Like they might just be lost. Could have been an accident. Like they've crash landed. Like you know, it's mm-hmm. let's give them the opportunity. Like it's not um, straight. Well, no, but there's that element of let's go straight to guns, and they sort of give the, the sort of the reason and just behind it. And it tries to deal with it. So that is much more of an interesting film. Um. Yeah. I, uh, well, what do you, what do you make of the fact that uh, I mean we've got you know I mean we were talking about this in in the context these films in the context of American culture at that time, but we have a number of representatives of of from Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, where do you see those as any different? No, w- weirdly. So I did some reading about this because. You know, and it's sort of in there as to why uh, Brandon Levy is, is cast as uh, Quatermass, uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Angry Dunleavy. Um, <laughs> and the reason I say so, what, what, you know, the, those shows or the, the the BBC shows are very different. They're, they're, you know, they're very they're they're told over three and a bit hours. Um, there's a different pace. They've obviously got a different budget. Um, especially having watched the TV version of Quatermass 2 to compare to the, to the TV version. And also knowing, having read, uh, there's, there's a book called the vault, uh, the ha- vault of H- hammer horrors. And it sort of mm. gives a bit of their history and stuff. And I was, I was re- I've read, read a bit and pieces in that. And like, they were clearly angling. There were young, a young, um, studio and they were angling for American distribution. They knew that like, yeah, British distribution. This is going to do well in Britain anyway because it's a Quatermass property, and people are probably going to see that because it's the movie version, although it's the same story. But they were really angling for that American market, and so they were looking to check the boxes. Mm. There was like, right, we can't have a British lead. We need to have an American lead that's at least partially known, so they get in Brandon Levy, and then. They tried to tick those boxes of like, you know, this is entertainment. And that's what those are. I agree. Like the Quatermass films don't really have a great deal to say. You know, you watch the, the Quatermass 2 again, you watch the TV show, and there is clearly sort of commentary about the stuff I tried, you know, I brought to the, when I talked about the film, this idea of bureaucracy and this idea of uh, mm-hmm. union unionism and, uh, blindly sort of doing a job because you know it, who cares about the outcome because it means I've to look after my family that sort of stuff is clearly in the TV show most definitely there um, but is less so in the t- in the film it's more like they, they do they pull back you know there is that thing of like no one gives a crap about you know Welsh mining you know politics <laughs> of <laughs> let's you've got to lean into the story. So I do think it's there and there as well. I honestly think that that's the case. I enjoy those films. I really enjoy the Quatermass films. But there's less to be said there. I mean, the the, the few things that you can take out of those. Well, no, it's almost counter in some ways. Because one of the things I was thinking about was when you watch like Worlds Collide or um, when Worlds Collide in particular, is this idea of the optimistic use of technology. You know, like we can save these people by building this rocket. We have a way of doing these things, and it's, it's it's an optimistic future in many ways, despite the fact the worlds are going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Quatermass is like just a belligerent prick. <laughs> like, <he's> like, <laughs> yeah, I sent a rocket up without the, the right permits. What are you going to do about it? And I'm going to do it again. It's like 
It's he really like, is the Elon Musk of the 1950s. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Like, there's no sort of like this thing of doing it to. Um, he 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 hides behind this concept of doing it for the greater good, doesn't he? That's how mm. it feels. Like, it's more of an ego thing with Quatermass than it is, or at least the Brian and Levy version, um, yeah. than it is to sort of do this. And it's the same in Quatermass too. Like, you know, he sort of. Uh, when he, you know, he sees his moon in my head. When he sees his version of the moon um, set up, he sees it on sort of like the Norfolk, you know, broads, and they're sort of there in front of him. You know, we were sort of, yeah, it must be that must be terrifying to see your thing, you know, realized in this thing like someone's taken it and built it. But there's a part of me that must be like this. Quatermass is going. Hang on a minute, I've not been paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, someone's going to get in trouble for this. Like you know, it's, it's, it, he, yeah. he never comes across as the optimistic sort. So, um, yeah, he doesn't seem devastated. Like you'd think that he would sort of like stop and say, you know, like those mfers, you know, they they stole my designs, you know, like I'm proud of them. No, it's like you get the sense that you know, if not, you know, like he's going to sue them or something. You get the <laughs> sense that he's like, yeah, I don't control this. Those, yeah. those, they, I don't mind that they built it, but they should have at least put me in charge of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah. yeah. So you know, with ours, with ours, with the British versions, with these films, it it, it doesn't have that. Um, the use of that that lack, you know, that thing of not wanting to do the status quo. There's just a, just a sort of grumpiness to them. To be perfectly honest, like they're entertaining, but they're again, they're not looking to do anything other than be entertaining um and so you attribute that primarily to sort of like targeting that american audience and 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 knowing you know you say like you know well strip it down to the story but you know not only casting uh an american lead but also sort of it doesn't take much to sort of see what the uh zeitgeist is in america as far as the rest of these films to say yeah yeah you know well i mean partly you can't assume an American is going to be interested in, you know, Welsh mining politics, yeah. right? Uh, but also, you know, look what they're producing. We want um, them. We don't want, you know, uh, BBC. Exactly, yeah. And that's what they're sort of leaning into. I think they were trying to lean into that. And the other thing to remember as well is when these uh, Quatermass and Quatermass 2 were produced and, and distributed, like, Hammer wasn't known mm. for science fiction horror or you know right it, it made its name with gothic horror like you know uh, you'd had um dracula curse of frankenstein uh the mummy you know like it was made like it was peter cushion and christopher lee you know and they had done some others they'd, they'd sort of dabbled in um thrillers There's a film called the snorkel which i highly recommend it's a very bizarre film i highly recommend it they'd done these things but they're big blockbusters the things that had made their name was these gothic horrors and so they were they were trying to sort of hook the audience in using that hammer title to to do other things. And so they were very cautious, I think, by doing these films to say, well, we can't be too garish. I mean, to, to, the thing to note is as well, um, 51 is Dracula, 53 is Curse of Frankenstein, both in colour. Both of those are in colour. Quatermass and Quatermass 2 aren't. Yeah, 
So they were looking to hook the audience, but they weren't willing to spend the big bucks to do it. <laughs> is what we should really be highlighting. So these films are just them trying to like they're trying to fill a gap, but they are trying to fill this sci-fi. That that's their thing, and um, you know it clearly w- worked because they went back and did Quatermass in the Pit in '67. So um, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting that you know they they knew these would sell in Britain. There was no problem there. So, but how can we get that wider distribution? And it was clearly on the American market. Like that, I feel that those films, uh, Quatermass, the Quatermass experiment in particular, fits in with the rest of these films. Like I can feel that there's a, you know, a style there, or you know, mm. the, mm-hmm. that fits with those other films. Like I could imagine that the Quatermass experiment being fully made as an American film mm-hmm. in this period. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? No, I agree. I, I was. I keep thinking about how. You know, having seen uh, Quatermass in the Pit, you know, which is from 67, you know, I mean, that's 10 years after Quatermass 2. It it does feel, especially in thinking about it in this discussion, like it's from a different world than Mm. the 50s stuff. Um, It's. It is still a sort of like compelling story, obviously different lead. Right. But Mm. it's still a sort of compelling story. Uh, rooted in a sci-fi concept, but it's the 60s, and so it's allowed to sort of like go weird and go, you know, all these, you know, places, and and it asks questions. I mean, it's 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 existentially terrifying in a way mm. that uh, these two aren't. I mean, you know, these are sort of like like the idea that. I mean, really, the idea that we come from Mars and that there's this sort of love, like Lovecraftian alien in Quatermass in the Pit, um, there's no reason why that inherently should be more terrifying or upsetting than there are aliens in orbit waiting to possess us, yeah. right? You know, and as soon as we go into outer space, we're going to get possessed and be confronted by these beings who we cannot even see or control, mm. Right. That should be terrifying, and yet it really doesn't feel that way. It feels like it's the vehicle for another 50 sci-fi plot. Yeah, exactly. It depends. It's that leaning, isn't it? Like the Quatermass in the Pit leans into the existential terror. That's mm-hmm. what. And that's what it's done. But like, and again, like you go back to the Quatermass, the Quatermass experiment, and the Quatermass too. Like, which probably leans a little bit, but it's more about the monsters, mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, okay, we've got to show gory concept or gory you know like you want to see especially the uh, Quatermass experiment where it's like as you say like yeah from a fantastic four kind of thing like yeah you're going to go through solar radiation or whatever and you're going to be <laughs> m- melded together and then slowly become a sort of like a, a, a plant animal creature um you know that transformation is you know they're not even focused on the dread of that. It's just the now he's attacking another person and he's you know now his arm's gone thingy and that sort of thing like you know to take that to its next conclusion is the fly, you know Cronenberg's the fly really is this thing of sort of like how is this guy dealing with this fact of like his body's mm-hmm. sort of rebelling against him. Other films have done it and done it better, but it's where the um, the Hammer films are leaning, isn't it? Like you know it's about um, well yeah. Monster in experiment, and then in Quatermass Two, it's more about the sort of the mystery, isn't it? It's leaning into this idea of it being a mystery rather than the fact that, like you say, oh no, there's an alien species that's like on the, the far side of the moon, 
and you're sending little missiles to take people over. Like it's, you know, it, that should be, you know, terrifying. But well, or or they've got in possession of basically the British government. Yeah. You know, and they have installations like they're, they're mole people. They've, you know, they, they've weeded their way into our society. They're already at a point where they could conceivably take over the world. This should be, you know, well, it should be conceivably scary stuff. Yeah, I mean, that should be invasion of the body snatchers, shouldn't it? That should be who do you trust, you know, and then and all that kind of stuff. And and then you could lean into like the Cold War fears and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's none of that, especially this idea of being possessed by something that's been brought over, this idea of propaganda or you know being turned or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's not. It's about the monsters and it's about the sort of the ideas. Um, and so yeah, I do. I do think they definitely were leaning into that. Um, you know, American I, 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 superficiality. Yeah, yeah, and I would love. That's, you know, what, that's what my country does best. I mean, the yeah. phrase "American superficiality" just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me wonder. Like, you know, I, I know how not. You know, Nigel Neal was devastated. The creator of it was devastated when they cast an American um, as as Quatermass. Unfortunately, like he'd written the the first and second TV series. Uh, as part of a contract for the BBC, so he didn't own the character and no rights over it, so they could do what the hell they want with it, and as could Hammer. I, but I, I've never been able to find an interview or anything with him where he was able to sort of, other than to say, I'm not a fan of the the Hammer films, but like to say, like you know, I'd love to have asked him, like, well, you know, let's get into it a little bit, like this discussion, like you know, what are your feelings about? Do you think they downplay the ideas that you really wanted to present in? Mm these stories with Quatermass and that sort of thing. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure he, you know, you watch those TV shows. They, they, uh, Quatermass one's difficult because it's only two episodes for it exist. But having watched Quatermass two and the TV version of, um, and the, you know, Quatermass in the pit and the TV and the film version, like he definitely lent more towards that existential dread. And that's sort of the idea. That's where Neil was going. But it gets compacted and it gets you know it gets made packaged up to become a little bit more um, presentable to, to you know TVs to yeah. to a two to a ninety minute runtime and a an international audience. Yeah, uh, you know, I was going to say that it's interesting that I agree with you. I, I think it's going to it's interesting that the for two movies that have a lot of, of possession going mm. on. You, with rare exceptions, it's really only the Quatermass experiment that does any of this, of sort of depicting any kind of interior space to the people mm -hmm. being possessed. Um, in in Quatermass 2, it's just there are hordes, right? And they might as yeah. well be like James Bond, the hordes of James Bond villain goons, you know? Um, no interior space. There's no well, struggle. They, they even refer to them as the zombies, don't they? In the yeah. film, so they're, they're clean, they 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 have. There's no point worrying about them. They're just the zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Kill them. Uh, you know. Um, whereas Quatermass Experiment, that some of the stuff that I like the most is sort of uh, that um, that scientist wandering around and sort of hiding and you know sort of struggling with his wounds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He still doesn't talk about it. There's still no, you know, no real. Um, there's a little bit of sympathizing with him, but he isn't really granted a full emotional range. Um, 
but it, it you know that's another thing that's sort of interesting to me as far as willfully ignoring you know the mm. implications of your own plot well i mean well willfully ignoring the the the, the outcome is exactly what Quatermass does in this film <laughs> he completely you know he deals with the problem mm-hmm. but at no point you know he, he, he the wife of one of the astronauts calls him out and says, like, you know, you have had no thought or consideration for the fact that these are three men that were sent up and only eventually they've all, they've all died. Like, you've not given it any thought or consideration. And he sort of just looks at her just sort of with a little bit of disdain and sort of like, you know, that's it. That And that's all the film gives it. Like, he doesn't stop at any point to sort of show remorse or, um, you know, reflect on... on the events that have led to this for him to say, you know, yeah, lessons learned, you know, we need to do things different. <laughs> you know, he just at the end of it, he literally walks off having said, and now I shall launch my next rocket. You're like, all oh, right, okay, well, you were, li- like, yeah, totally like willfully ignoring the problem. Well, I mean, I, I like that phrase, lessons learned, right? Because mm. that's, isn't that the epitome of every character arc? Right. I mean, you know, if if there is a character arc um, and looking back on these films, what films are any lessons learned in? Yeah. Uh, You know, when worlds collide, like, I guess listen to the scientists when they say the world is ending. You know, Um, I mean, Earth versus the flying saucers. What are you going to do? have better guns you know i mean what is the lesson you learn it came from outer space is the only one where i could say there's a lesson to be learned which is like don't distrust immediately you know well i'd even say that the 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 main character learns that lesson Mm. you know that's the sort of at least that's that they do have an arc i think it's one of the few films that does have an arc in this um collection i mean you say yeah when worlds collide i mean you know the only other thing it had was basically um you know yes happily manipulate um industrialist billionaires to to take their money that i think that's the only yeah. lesson from that film really yeah that's true right you know yeah. screw, screw the capitalists i mean one of those one of those people might have been uh quatermass uh hmm? You know, yeah. although he probably would have said he would have drawn the contract so that he owned the rocket and he would have pranced in and co- demanded control. He wouldn't be like that guy in the wheelchair who just passively accepts, you know, that he can't control it. Yeah, yeah. Well, he probably built his own rocket. To be perfectly honest, just 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 him and three other people. Um, as one yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. Um. So really, the only one we haven't really touched on that is actually probably the the odd one out of this bunch, um, and was mine. You know, it was my contribution mainly because I wanted to get a, a Vincent Price film in. Is the Tingler, um, and it acts less as a sort of sci-fi film. It's more of a sort of a, a, a sci-fi horror oddity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but again, like that film, th- this film epitomizes everything we've been saying. Really, like this film <laughs> has, has, has really got nothing to say. Um, ba- barely yeah. has a coherent plot, um, but is more about that experience. It's about having the cinema experience, isn't it? It's, it's an entertainment driver. So it's, it's a, I think as we said in the episode, it's it's a bit more of a, it's a ride, you know, rather than a than yeah. a, a piece of no. I don't want to downplay. It. I don't say it's not a piece of art, but it's definitely more designed to be a, an experience than a um, something to make you go home and think about. 
Well, and I think, you know, yeah, okay, so it's a gimmick, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the use, selective use of color is a gimmick. I mean, you know, the the shocker of, you know, the chairs, you know, uh, and, and whatnot, you know, vibrating and, uh, you know, the, you know, turning off the lights in the cinema and saying it's in the cinema. Having said that, those are all also kind of brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm not comparing, <laughs> you know, uh, the tingler in our spines to the Holocaust by any means. But, you know, when Spielberg used selective color in Schindler's List, it's, you know, seen as an artistic choice. This is clearly not an artistic choice in that same way. But I do think that Tingler holds up in a way better than most of these other films um, in the sense that, like, you know, Ray Harryhausen, you know, you sort of feel like, I guess this is true for the Tingler too, but you sort of feel like, Okay, just get to those Ray Harryhausen scenes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know you paid a lot of money for them, and you have to pad this out to to get to a ninety minute runtime. Uh, with the Tingler, yeah, I mean, sure, a lot of it is just Vincent Price, you know, <laughs> having you know, weird relationships, and I don't know how any of them work. But I do think that because it's metafictional, um, I, I do think that those gimmicks in the Tingler, in an odd way, kind of hold up and make that film stand out and stand the test of time in a, in a weird way, despite its stupidity as a plot. Yeah, I agree. I think the hot, there, are, there are just, there are two main segments in the film that sort of like stand up in that way. Like I said, the bathroom or the, the fear inducing scene, you know, with the, the, you know, spoilers we've already talked about where the husband is setting up his wife to die from fear. Um, is excellent. It's it's silly as hell, but it's brilliant. I mean, I don't even know how he did half the things, but like, but again, like with Castle using like because the film's been in black and white and it's been played relatively campy, straight, but leaning into the camp for the most part. But then the moment she turns on the taps and you see like the red blood water come out, and then she turns around to the the bathtub and the hand reaching out of the water, the mm-hmm. water, the blood, whatever is incredibly effective um you know and the fact that you've had some sort of like slightly silly leads up to that like you know a guy in a mask walking to it but it's all effective you know that's no different to like michael myers you know that's idea of the character but then the end bit in particular like you say in the cinema this idea of the tingle of is now loose in the cinema (laughs) and and the film actively engages with the audience is is wonderful like i really enjoy that um yeah that's what gave me a tingle was yeah. you know like w- when when it disappears down the vent you know and my brain goes oh i see what you're doing here yeah. you know like this is quite charming you know um and there aren't a lot of moments like that in cinema period you know mm. you get one of those in a movie you're usually pretty happy um you know, but certainly in this section. Um, and I and you know, I was gonna say, you know, it's not just Michael Myers. I mean, if you um if uh you know Hitchcock had done that uh blood sequence, mm. we'd still be talking about it today as you know, an artistic tour de force. But because it's William Castle and it's the Tinkler, and, and granted the movie is not great as a movie, but because it's seen as just a gimmick for the sake of the gimmick it's not remembered and talked about um, for those artistic accomplishments, but it has those artistic accomplishments in it. 
Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I mean, Psycho comes out the following year. Mm. Um, and you've already had, like, you know, I mean, you know, so the Hitchcock was already well established, really, by this point. But Psycho comes out the next year. And, and again, we, you know, one of the things we talked about was this almost like a, a break from like 1960 onwards. You know, there seems to be this sort of division, like, you know, Psycho, um, 2001. Um, there's a film called um, Peeping Tom, which is a very similar film to, to Psycho. And all of a sudden, cinema takes this sort of leap, and, and and people look at this stuff in from that era and go, "Oh yeah, look, that was fully intentional." Like, look at the shower scene in Psycho, and you go, "Yeah, it's good. It is good." But there was still stuff going on before that mm-hmm. that that you know they had a different yeah. intent, but they were just as creative and just as you know that final sequence of the breaks and the tingler reappearing in the cinema is just as effective to me. I and mean, I'm not saying it's as artistically well shot or anything like that, but it's still as effective as some of the things done in Psycho. Mm-hmm. It just has a different objective. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting that sort of people seem to have, you know, maybe in my own mind, I have this like demarcation of like, well, you know, well, modern cinema started in 1960. Well, <laughs> it's never that simple, is it? But No, no um, it's not. I mean... And, you know, I mean, we talked about stuff pre-50s that's mm. fantastic, that just, you know, lives in my mind forever. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think that's, a, you know, not that not only is that, you know, a sort of superficial analysis, but also, like you say, the the sort of, like, trend lines, the tendrils of, of all of these things go back and will go forward and... You know, none of it is as pat as we like to make it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think really when we've gone through them all, I think, you know, it was a good bunch. I mean, again, like I say, they haven't got masses to say. But then again, the decade may not have had a great deal to say, to be perfectly honest. It sounds a bit, you know, we said that it was trying to keep its head down. I mean, I think the 50s has more impact as a form of nostalgia Mm-hmm. than it does as an actual historical decade. I mean, you know, like you've said all those films, like, you know, everything from Greece to um, half of Stephen King's sort of, you know, he was massively, obviously that was when he was gro- grown up. He was, he's yeah. a baby boomer. He's, he's you know, um, that's the sort of the sort of summer of his youth, I suppose. Um, so it's quite interesting to see that sort of it probably exists. Back to the Future, you know, another one. This idea mm. of yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it acts with, and ironically, you know, the eighties acts in a very similar way um, for us yeah. now. I was going to say that that you know, I I don't think the eighties are as extreme. You know, mm. I mean, I do think that you get you know some deeper themes even in the the trivial eighties stuff. Mm. Um, you know, in a way that this batch of, of films doesn't have. Um, having said that, that is a, a sort of, it is parallel in American history, this sort of like, uh, there it's the Reagan effect, right? Where yeah. like, just being rich is good, right? Yeah. Like, greed is good, is Gordon Gecko, And, um, you know, and there was this sort of like, desire to return to the 50s and to this period where you know we believed in ourselves and america was the best country in the world and you know we didn't have to ask those difficult questions and you know uh depicting question you know having people question themselves when they encounter alien life why that's tantamount to questioning the entire american experiment don't you know 
Um, and, and so there is a kind of like return in the 80s to that sort of willfully dumb uh, yeah. stuff. Well, is it a coincidence that, uh, you know, the 80s president was a 50s actor? Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Well said. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, it is interesting. Both decades. And, you know, and like, an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is coincidence that you know the eighties definitely. I, I I think you know, and maybe I defend it because it's the decade I grew up in. But mm. to me, I think the eighties is definitely a more politically active decade. And you're right. I think we'd already entered into modern cinema, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes out of the eighties that's very, you know, it's very. It's got a lot to say. Um, but both are sort of also count. Um, you know, pre. You know preceded by a decade of you know counterculture you get the 50s is followed by the counterculture movement and the hippies and everything of the 60s and then the 80s is very much sort of followed by the rave culture and the sort of um happy clappy scene of, of, of the 90s um and both follow sort of like ufo spats so the 60s was full of them and so was the 90s so it's interesting actually i'm, I'm not going to go off on this tangent this is a complaint <laughs> <laughs> but uh well, it's yeah. true. The same way that sort of like every election is about the previous one, right? You know, mm. every decade is a reaction to the previous one. You know, it has to be understood in that context. Yes, definitely. Um, and you know, I, I recently watched. Uh, I've been watching some of the X Files. Mm. Um, in that, and you can see some of that. Um, you know, that reaction to the excessive eighties. In in that you know there's there's got you know it's very much a different show and it's a very ninety show but it's it's mm-hmm. still of its time um, but that's a different story together yeah for sure um, yeah yeah I mean you know it, it'd be interesting you know as as we go on and we see more fifties movies as, as we choose them and and insert them in, in movies earlier and movies of the sixties which I think we haven't represented enough um, mm. we will be able to use this block as a kind of touchstone, you know, yes. to sort of like, okay, well, we've seen Godzilla, we've seen, um, uh, what, uh, Forbidden Planet, you know, yeah. uh, we've seen maybe it came from outer space, you know, but we've also seen sort of like a nice cross section where we have this sort of reference point for what the fifties was about in sci-fi, you know, yeah. uh, positively and negatively. Yeah, it's almost like, well, here's the baseline, and then we get the waves beyond, you know, in, in that, see what the parameters really are. But yeah, I think do you that's. Want to do ratings? Do you, do yes, you I was going to say, yeah, should we, should we, okay. yeah, yeah, do you want, do you want to move, move into the ratings? You, well, we've got them in the, we'll obviously follow them in the uh, usual um, chronological order. Um, and I'll, I'll let you go first, because uh, I think this is your choice. So we'll start with in 1951. Uh, when worlds collide um yeah i gave this one a 5.5 5. uh mm-hmm. so you know i think that it's it's well done for what it is uh you know i think it's it's known as one of the sort of seminal 50s films and that was you know a reason why i chose it um it's well reviewed even today but um you know as we say i mean i think it doesn't it, it's got a lot of funny absurdities in its plot you know and and it's sort of whitewashing of uh the globe um 
that don't <laughs> hold up today. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's a functional movie, but very much limited. And so in terms of its plot. And so, uh, yeah, I gave it a 5.5. What about you? Yeah, I, I was about thinking the same. I actually gave it a 5. Um, and I think mainly because there's, there's bits that I really like. But there's also parts of it that were just very clunky. Um, and the, the, the bits that sort of um, you know, chucklesome really is the sort of uh, your main your main guy at the beginning who's literally sort of like a pilot, you know, just seems to become like the main character just by just well, being there. There's, like, <laughs> yeah. no, there's no real narrative reason for him other than to be sort of like, yeah, you, you just happen to be there so you can carry on. But also like the turn at the end, like this realization by all the people that have been building the rocket, like, hang on a minute, what do you mean we're not going? And then they all riot. Like it's yeah, it just sort of happens. Um yeah. and, we've never and, thought and, about this before. <laughs> yeah. They're stirred um, up by the rabble rouser. There's never been a rabble rouser before, and that was part of the thing we said, sort of like mm. narratively, it's obviously of its time, fine. But it 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 was just clunky. It just sort of like things yeah. just kept happening. It was like, you know, it needs to be a bit smarter. So, yeah, just a five for me. Still good, though. Still good. Okay. It came from outer space, 1953. You want to go first? Yeah. I, I gave this a six. I gave this a 6.5. Oh, wow. Okay. So, this is also my. Was this your highest rated? Joint. Okay. Yeah. Well, don't spoil it. This was my highest rated. And I gave it a six. <laughs> so we're within 0.5 of each other, but, uh, mm. you know. Um, again, there was just something about this film that, it, to me, it had like a rewatchability mm. where I know I could go back. And I was like, if I was to watch this again, I wouldn't be, I wasn't bored watching this film. I don't think I was bored watching many of them, but. I wouldn't be bored re-watching this film. And I think because it has something to say, and also because... I mean, there's some silly bits in it. Like, when they when they do take on the identities and the personas of the people from the town, it's like, well, why are you wearing boiler suits? Why are you talking funny? Like, it's, it's there's some silly bits in it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do kind of... The, the last third, the finale of the film, that third act, is really good. You know, it's sort of like he... Oh, yeah. You know, that race against time, and the fact that he wants to save the people... And he's got to out. He's got to outpace the the sheriff and his his goons and all this other stuff. It's all really good. I think it's it's a, it's a really good. There's, there's bits of it that are just really good. Um, so yeah, I think this is the one one of the ones I'd probably go back to out of the, out of the bunch. Yeah, no, I agree with your assessment. I mean, my thinking my thinking is that I'm looking back and you know I gave Star Wars a six, Akira a six, uh, Flash Gordon a six. Quitter Mass mm. in the Pit, a six. Um, you know, Mars Attacks, Minority Report. Um, you know, six is sort of like, okay, it's above average. There are definitely things to recommend it, but it's not, you know, uh, like, you know, when you get into like seven, we're into like the Fly, um, mm. Starship Troopers, Barbarella, Rocky Horror. I'm just yeah. talking about my ratings, like Videodrome, Transformers, the movie. I mean, so for me, I felt like six is sort of that. Oh, I respect this. This is above average. There's definitely reasons to see this. It's not, uh, you know, especially painful 
you know, I can legitimately recommend this, but it's not quite at that seven level. So, mm-hmm. no, yeah, I know what you're saying. So, okay, yeah, we're pretty close there. Yeah. So you give it, you give it a six. Is what you yes. saying? Yeah. Okay. So what about them from 1954? What did you give them? So you know, it's interesting. I I gave them a five, and this is actually my worst rating for the season, right? So that tells you everything is within five and a six, so not a lot of surprises. Um, you know, so this was, this was, you know, and to me, like, a five is slightly below average, you know? It's it's mm. sort of, you know, I mean, if we're talking, like, one to ten, it's, uh, you know, six is slightly above, five is slightly below. And I, I felt like there's a lot of good stuff, like, all of the stuff that I really appreciate about them is either the giant ants, which I don't see enough of, you know, in those caves and stuff. I mean, they're good, but it's all sort of like, oh, this reminds me of aliens, you know, yeah. or, or you know, this is enter- like you've staged this in a cool way, but there's something about it that, you know, I don't feel like, oh, my God, I hope they're not going to die. In fact, they're dying left and right, and I don't care, and it's not even done dramatically and effectively. And so... There's certainly things about the staging of this that I appreciate, but I wind up, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, fast food where, you know, I mm-hmm. think like, yeah, that's okay, but am I ever going to think about, you know, those sequences in the ant tunnels ever again? You know, I, I don't know. I, I doubt it. Maybe when I watch Alien, outside of that. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, I actually gave it. I have a joint score with this, but I give it a four point five for exactly the same reasons you've said. Is that like there's bits of this are good, but they they tell you the cooler stuff than you actually see. Mm, mm-hmm. So like at one point they talk about the fact that they're flying ants, and mm. they attack a boat, and I'm like that sounds really cool. And then they they you but you see them on the boat doing yeah. stuff. But I'm like, yeah, but come on, I want to see a flying ant. Like, I want to see a massive flying ant, and you never do see we, those kinds of things. See one like super briefly when it entered with a jet, like sees that ant and says like, oh, it's heading out west or something. No, um, you, it's all done. A... Like, no, they have a voiceover thing, and it's done oh. on a map. They just show oh, okay. you on a map, um, and they show you like a Not radius good. of where. Yeah, and so there's things like that. Are they constantly willing to show? And also the fact is that the film, to me, felt like two films. Like, mm, I think yeah. I said, the first film, they blow up this nest, and then they're like, and they've escaped. And you're like, okay, well, wh- why are you now going to have this, almost like this whole second half that's clearly like a second film in the city? Like, mm-hmm. and you know, as I said before, this film feels like Tremors and then another film. And it's sort of like, you know, it's... It, it's just that disjointedness about it that sort of that bothered me. So yeah, four and a half was was sort of the the answer cool, you know. But um That's, that's gonna be on the it. movie poster, on the back of the DVD. Well, yeah. the ants are cool, Scott Weatherly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean I that thing about the movie being split, I think, you know, it, it comes off as well, we didn't have enough plot, so we're just gonna do more of this. Whereas I mm. think that if you have, you know, we were talking earlier about the lack of, um, you know, being about anything. And I yeah. think if you if you have that in a script, 
then I usually want to see more, right? I want to see the aftermath. I want to see how this changes society. I want to see, you know, even just like, you know, if you're the lone survivor of an encounter with aliens or ants or whatever, what does that do to you over time? Are you the expert mm -hmm. that, you know, is like, they're still coming. You've got to listen yeah. to me. I mean, I'm fine. I want to see that stuff. But because there's no there's no meaning to anything here, there's no real message or stakes or real characterization. It just feels like a tacked on sequel, as you say, instead of like an exploration of, I mean, look, make that entire second half, you know, focused on the characters and, and the characters struggling with what they've been through or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, I don't know. They, they, they literally have it in the film, the film that they go to that hospital and you have the crazy person who's sort of like, make me a sergeant, make me a sergeant. You know, you know, that person sort of like should be the survivor of the last film. Like that's how it should work. Like, you know, We've now been attacked. We need to go see the person who survived it. But he was driven crazy by the encounter. Um, but it's not just about having something to say. The film, especially the first half, the whole thing when it's in the desert and you have the thing and it ends up with them basically firing on an anthill in the middle of the desert. That's tremors. And you can mm. make that film work if you've got a charming, enjoyable cast. You know, if you want to spend time with those characters, then it works. If you don't, and they don't, the, the, the writer clearly didn't give a monkeys about the characters, then it doesn't work. <laughs> so, yeah, but the, the, we spent a lot of time on them. So, yeah, it, to me, it just, it just felt like it's a, it's a seminal film. It gets mentioned a lot, but it was right. it's not it's not one of the. It's all right. It's, it's fine, but it's not one I think I'll go back to. No, I agree, and I think that uh, you know that's an excellent point about the. Uh... You know, that should that crazy person should have been the survivor. And, you know, and that would have been if you pull a sort of like Mars attacks where the protagonist from the first half is in a mental institution, then you go, wow, you know, like that's surprising, yeah. you know, I'm, and, but it's not, you know, they don't even return to that character who the char yeah. your main characters really do wrong by, you know, mm. never find out like, oh, you know. One of us should probably call that mental institution and have yeah. that guy released. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter, right? It, the filmmakers don't care. No, exactly. Um, okay, so the next one then, uh, the Quatermass Experiment, nineteen fifty five. Um, I I gave this a six. Um, mainly because I think I've just got a, a real nostalgia for it. I, I'm. <laughs> But I'm blatantly aware of its shortcomings, uh, in, in especially in the in the form of Brian Dunleavy, um, and in, in its finale. And you know, and I, I understand that sort of. You know, it, we we talked about this thing about making it you know more appealing to audiences to have the beast electrified or the alien electrified and burnt. It it kind of looks kind of cool, but it's not what was intended. But I just really enjoy this film. I think it's you know I've obviously got a soft spot for Quatermass and. Um, I do enjoy this film, despite its flaws. There's some really good. I just I like the stuff, like, you know, the 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 chase and the mystery part of it. Yeah. What about you? Well, I think I think there's more mystery, as you said, in, in Quatermass too. I mean, I, okay, so I gave this a five point five. Right. Mm. So again, I mean, we're within point five of each other, right? All along, um, that's been the 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 gap in everyone so far. Um, 
not surprising that this would be me 0.5 lower. Um, I think what sticks with me because of the nostalgia, I think what sticks with me is the the opening sort of mystery, right, of sort of like the crash ship and like, you know, where mm. did these two astronauts disappear to? Um, yeah, you pointed out, and I hadn't thought of it rightly so, that the um, the ship is right side up. And, you know, there's, there's yeah. <laughs> sort of like some, some awkwardness there of the staging of that that rocket crash. But it is a sort of like classic 50s sort of thing. Mm. And at least it has that sense of mystery, whereas a lot of these, you know, the mystery is sort of like, yeah, you know, those are aliens visiting you. Right. You know, <laughs> this is like, well, what happened to those two, those two astronauts? Why is he the other survivor? How did he survive and why is he acting strange? Uh, so I think that sort of initial setup sticks with me. And then the second thing that sticks with me is uh, Westminster. And, you know, the, the alien inside it as a, as a monster that, you know, they burn. Mm. Uh, but just being in the rafters during the BBC uh, shoot. Uh, but there's something about seeing that truly alien-looking monster in a cathedral that, yeah. you know, is, in a sense, it's gothic, right? Mm. Um, you know, and, and it's the sense of, like, atmosphere. Um, but those are the two things that really stick with me about the film. Yes, no, I agree, um, and you know I'll, I will go back to this one. Um, all right, and we're moving on. Earth versus the Flying Flying Saucers, nineteen fifty-six. What did you give this one? Uh, I gave this a five point five, um, and only because of. I mean, I could see going to to five on this. I mean, I think only because of the the Ray Harryhausen stuff, and that I mm. feel that it, um, you know, if you accept that it's a. Um, you know, it is what it is. If you accept it's a sort of like FX vehicle, okay. I mean, it's very middle of the road. It's not offending me, but you know, it's doing what it's doing. And I do think it's kind of like the template for Mars Attacks. It's it's more than any other film that we've seen. It is the template for 1950s mm. uh, sci retro sci-fi stuff. What about you? Yeah, I actually gave it. This is my joy. This is matching them. I gave this four point five. Mm -hmm. um, again, like I said, the Harry House and stuff's good, but it's it's one of the things of like you know I can. The Harry House and stuff that you get is is literally a moving flying saucer, and there's some <laughs> when they attack, it's like there's a few buildings that fall down. I'm thinking like it's it's good, but it's not like you know um, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad or you know it's not something where I'm getting like creatures and. Like, you know, they're not fighting a Cyclops or Clash of the Titans where he's taking yeah. on, you know, like a horde of skeletons. Like, it's fine. It's good. It looks fine. But it's the fact that, like you say, unfortunately, I think, and maybe this because of the order I've seen these in, mm. I could not stop thinking, that, especially at the end, when they, like, they shoot down, there's several scenes that, like, they shoot down <laughs> the Washington Monument, and I'm like, oh, like, that's, a, that's where, you know, Mars Attacks got it from. Like, it's blatant, like... And it just kept making me think of the other films. And the same yeah. with like Independence Day. I'm like, I know Independence Day is, is exactly this film. But it's, you know, it's, it's a stunt. It's a, it's a uh, special effects movie. But because I've seen that first, yeah. I just kept thinking about that. And it just kept making me think, like, yeah, I should watch Independence Day. Like, I know it's not good, <laughs> but like, I should go and watch that film. And actually, like, now I've watched this, I can appreciate Mars Attacks better and this other stuff. So, mm. It acts as almost like a, as, a, as a cornerstone, as a historical cornerstone to go, yeah, that's what this is. 
and it makes me appreciate other things more, but it didn't make me appreciate this, if that makes sense. I think that's actually very fair. Um, you know, and I think that I think that part of my you know, if anything, I've erred slightly higher because mm. I mean, I don't think that I would go I mean you did you did them and Earth versus the Flying Saucers at four point five because my lowest is them at five. Like you know, I mean it's doing what it's doing. I you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean I, I would feel reluctant to go lower than that. I mean, just objectively I've had uh I look back if there's one that I look back on and think, you know, kind of groan in my head, it's them. Um, mm. despite wanting to love it. I mean, I love giant ants, you know, I yeah. love uh, the planetary issue with that. And I love every pastiche of that. And so maybe this is sort of like in that category where the pastiche and the homage is sort of better than that original, but there's something about the Ray Harryhausen thing, you know, that, uh, mm. you know, is maybe slightly more tolerable. I, uh, I probably should have gone like 5.25 or something, but I'm on record already. I shall yeah. not take it back. Yeah. Well, it's the thing, I think we said it in, you know, I've obviously said that, what I've said about Earth Earth's Flying Saucers, you know, those films. With them, you know, th this idea of the giant people, like eight-legged freaks um, mm -hmm. from the early 2000s with, with uh, David O'Cat. Like, it's a comedy film. Like, it leans into it. And I think them is also like, uh, as I said, uh, Tremors. This has been taken and done, and I've seen those other films and aliens. Like we talked about aliens being taken. If I've seen those, and then I go back to this, that you can go up to them, you go, oh, okay, yeah, that's where it's come from. But unfortunately, I've saw that. I see. I saw those first, <laughs> so downgrades. That gets into a legitimate question uh, that I often think about art and about reviewing in particular, which is, you know, how much do we prize originality and how much does stuff change over time, right? Like, obviously, there are movies that you look back on and you say, yeah, this was really stupider than I remembered, and it's also really sexist and racist, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, here it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, there is the problem of, I don't think anyone will look back and say Earth versus the Flying Saucers is a masterpiece, right? Mm. I mean, it's just not. But, but if it was influential, and I do think that in art, we often, in the West, we, we overly prize being original and getting there first. And mm. sometimes it's like, you know, look, that movie is a template for better movies that came later. You know, it's not great in itself, but it had a decent idea. It did something well. Um, or... You know, do you say, well, it, it is really influential. I mean, that's part of my fudge factor is, you know, it's really influential. Um, you know, I, I get why it would be influential. Um, it did that kind of thing first or, you know, was an early example of that. So, I mean, one of, I'm giving it a little bit of a fudge upward because of that influence and you're giving it if anything, a bit of a fudge downward because, you know, it's like everything I'm getting from this, I have seen done better. Maybe that better self was influenced by this. Yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, and again, I think like I think if we were to watch, if we were to take like The Fly, for example, which has a genuine remake, you know, we talk about, we've been surprised a minute, but you take the original 50s version uh, from 58 
and then you watch the 80s version, the Cronenberg version. Like, I like both, but you know, the idea of um, someone being taken by a fly, yeah, Cronenberg did it way better. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, the, the first one's original in that sense. Well, possibly not. It's science, it's mad scientists taken over, but you know, it's been done elsewhere. But yeah, I think sometimes things are done better. Mm. And an idea is taken, and this is why I have no problems with remakes. Because sometimes, like a remake, as long as someone's got you know got a good idea or a different take, I'm like, yeah, go for it. Let's see what it looks like. Um. Anyway, let's let's Absolutely. we shall. In fact, yeah. we're going to deal with that in this season uh, with Vanilla Sky and. Oh yes. Uh, so open shall, your eyes. Open yeah. your eyes. So we shall return to this discussion actually around originality. Well, not to mention Little Shop of Horrors is technically yes. a remake too. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to be sort of uh, touching on that a little bit. Uh, okay. Next one then. Uh, so fifty-seven. We Quatermass two. Uh, first film to use a numeral in its title. Um, That's right. And and I gave it six point five. Wow. So you I, think it's better than Quatermass 1. I mean, I since this is something we both are like on the record. we got to make that decision. We sort of debated it in that episode. Mm. Uh, but now we actually have to rank it, have to give a numerical score. Is it better than the first? Yeah, I really reflected on this because I was like, <laughs> is it is it better? And if it is, why is it? Mm. And I do really like the first one, as I've sort of said. This is a 0.5 higher. The the mystery and the breadth of the second film is it feels like a suitable sequel. Like, you know, it's bigger, it's slightly more, di- it's it's different. It's still an alien. It, it's a different type of alien invasion. It doesn't try and retread the things mm. that it's already done, um, but it starts to sort of grow the breadth of what Quatermass is doing. Like you know, you actually have like bureaucratic involvement, and in, you know, you've actually got governmental in- involvement in this. He's got to report someone. He's got things. Dunleavy's better in this one as well. Like he's clearly toning down the arsehole, um, <laughs> which is good. I can um, put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> toning down the asshole. Um, and it just feels like a more. There's just something more rounded about this film. Like it's not just them chasing down a monster. Like they've got to infiltrate the plant. You know, there's actually like negotiations. There's the thing of like you know, granted again something we've said. Like you know, you don't see it on screen, which is disappointing but it was the 50s but like the concept of they killed and pulped people to block a pipe you know and they find the blood trickling out like that is like to me to even now like that stays with me so uh and the, the storming of the the plant when everyone's getting shot up and stuff like you know and, and stuff so you know this one just felt like a more grander plan and a, and a better constructed film interesting uh <laughs> Uh, I, I guess I disagree. I gave it a 5.25. So mm. I gave it 0.25 lower than the first. Yeah. And I feel like the first one is the better film, you know, mm. and I sort of waffled back and forth and had it made up my mind in discussing Quatermass 2. Um, I think that that first one stays with me more. Mm. I think I think the, the second one is a more focused narrative. But... The only thing that really stays with me from two is the sort of mystery of, uh, I, you know, they've built my design. Mm. Uh, And, you know, that's legitimately creepy, even if they don't play it up as much as I would like. Um, I do think that, you know, and then 
one thing that both of these films does do really well is they immediately throw you into the action. But mm. I think Quatermass Experiment does that even faster and better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then in Quatermass 2, you're very quickly in sort of like, oh, okay, you're right that it ups the stakes, but I sort of feel like, oh, we're in a Bond film now, and now you're escaping, and, you know, he's he's doing this sort of like infiltration stuff, and... You know, and you're right that the film is sort of a more focused narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the stuff that I like about Quatermass Experiment, especially with like that guy wandering around and encountering the girl with a doll, very Frankenstein like, is mm-hmm. that it lets itself go on those little digressions. And it's, you know, I mean, it's quieter. It's, it's you know, it, it is a smaller film. Um, but, you know, the I don't think the visual of that monster sort of reeling, you know, rising over the, the plant uh, at the end of Quatermass 2, while it, I mostly think of it as prefiguring Quatermass in the pit, um, mm. it's, whereas I think the monster in the cathedral in, in Quatermass Experiment works much better for me. Yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying. Um uh, and, uh, but and you're then, wrong, Julian. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shame, uh, you ignorant slut. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with the finale, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I like the chase element of, of uh, experiment. You know, this idea of having to sort of go, and that they, they're constantly on the back foot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's something. There's something about two that, with the involvement of the village, and this idea of this protectionist, you know, attitude where they're sort of like, you know, don't rock the boat and. The fact that like the government been invaded and stuff like I, I almost see like a precursor to like the X Files and stuff for this as well you know these sort of ideas so um, it, yeah just, it just sort of it, it has a bit more for me in in two I think we can both happily agree though that uh, uh, Quatermass in the Pit is still the best of the three yes um, yeah for sure uh, without a doubt let me look back and see you know what we okay so Quatermass in the Pit you gave an eight and I gave a six. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's we both did better than either. So last on the list. And uh, um also oh, yeah, you give yeah, five point two five. Um so the last one is the, the Tingler from nineteen fifty nine. So what did you give the Tingler? Uh I gave the Tingler a five point five. So <laughs> right in line with, with when worlds collide, Quater Mass Experiment, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Um I want to go higher on that. I, you know, like my tendency is to go higher on this, but, you know, because I love that metafiction. I love, Mm -hmm. you know, the blood scene, but especially that, that metafiction. I think it's, it's because metafiction came into, you know, vogue in a later Mm -hmm. period, it feels very much ahead of its time, even if Mm -hmm. it was a gimmick. Um, And so I want to go higher. But, you know, that plot is so damn horrible. <laughs> it's so, you know, there's a yeah. substance in our spine that grows and hardens and never even explains, like, why it's a, it's a, it's a being. Like, we evolved in a symbiotic relationship with fear monsters that grow to titanic proportions <laughs> in our spine that would distend our backs. I mean, it, it really is so incoherent as a plot. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and and I would feel bad if, like, I rated this a six and then people were like, oh, you know, like, Julian likes this. I I, I should watch it. And then they're like, 
what is wrong with Julian? (laughs) So anyway, so that's why I went 5.5. What about you? I also gave it a 5.5. Although although it's a a price film, I do love my price movies. The fact of the matter is, you're right, it's incoherent nonsense, this film. (laughs) it's, It's clearly set up to just be the ride. Um, and of all the prize films, it's not even in probably my top ten. You know, it's it's good, it's fine. He's fine in it, but of, the, of his of the Price and William Castle collaborations, House on Haunted Hill is a much better film. Um, and you know, as an overall, um, it just has a funness to it though. And like I said, I do really like that end bit, and I do love the the use of color in the bathtub and the taps and, and stuff like so. Um. And, and there's also a charm to the special effects. Um, like, you know, I was watching this on Blu-ray. It's a 4K restoration. And there are certain films when you're like, you shouldn't be doing that to a film. <laughs> like, you don't need to see this in that much clarity because the strings are probably obvious in a, on a projected screen. Yes. It, on a high pixelated, on a high pixelated <laughs> restoration, like they are blatant. Um, but it's still fun. It's still got good moments, and I enjoy it. But like you say, the whole this weird thing of like you know the fact that he, his wife hates him, but they've never left each other, and then then the younger couple and sort of stuff, and it's yeah, it, it's uh, and, and they're murdering each other. I mean, you know, yeah, it's that stuff is so bizarre. Yeah, with this and Haunted Hill, like I said it in the episode, and I'll say it again, like. I need to know more about William Castle's love life or his married life because in both of them it's about killing off it's not about killing off spouses. So yeah, he clearly had some issues to work through. Um, well, you know, I I've always said that, you know, I mean it, it's like they say, the the couple that slays together stays together. And, <laughs> and if you're not slaying outwardly, you're gonna be slaying in the home. I mean, that's just a fact. That's very true. Very you know. true. Um but yeah, it's. Uh, I, it's I think a, you're right a, about Vincent Price, though. That you know, I, I, in, in case you were wrapping up, I don't mean to interrupt. Mm. Uh, I, I just that you know, Vincent Price is entertaining to watch, but this feels like he's underutilized, if anything. Mm. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's not even a you know, like you say, it's not a top five. I recently did on on. 20th Century Geek, I did my top five uh, prize films. And Haunted Hill, House and Haunted Hill, is what is probably one of my favorite. Uh, the same year, and he, you know, he's utilized much, much better in that film. Um, but yeah, this, I could go off on a whole tirade, you know, like Witchfinder General and, and Theatre of Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still good fun. It's a great idea. And it's more about, it's a bit like we talked about um, Harry Housen. I would. It's more about Castle. This is about William Castle and his ideas of th- cinema entertainment than the actual film. Like you know, he, um, his other films like the use of like three D, and I forget the name of the, the the effects, but he used for like Thirteen Ghosts and, which has got like optics in the film, or when he did Haunted Hill and he had like skeletons and things running through the cinema. Like you know, it's it's an experience, and so I think that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is one that, like, I mean, I right, so so I think it came from outer space is the best of the season. You know, you've got that tied with Quatermass too. Mm. Um, I will say that if there's if 
you know, I mean, Earth versus the Flying Saucers is so definitive of the era. You know, I mean, them is a harder slog, even though it's pretty definitive. Um, but if there's one movie for me that you're going to see from the set, actually, it may well be The Tingler. Because The Tingler mm. is just so different that I feel really thankful that you added it. Uh, you know, it's like part of cinema history that should be taught, you know, that uh, it was doing this thing. Yeah, it's ahead of its time. What William Castle really was. Um, and, you know, people didn't, appre- don't think, didn't appreciate him at the time. Um, I do think we're going to come back to this era. Mm-hmm. And I think there was, there were certain films um, around this era that I think we, we, we haven't discussed. Um, yes. Both good you know, let's like say the sort of the more um, thoughtful or you know, presented, you know, probably close to like Forbidden Planet. Mm-hmm. And then also there's Ed Wood films that we haven't touched on either. So, oh, I love Ed Wood. Yeah. So, you know, there's Plan 9 and, and a couple of others. So mm-hmm. we need, I think that's sort of, there's a gap there. We will definitely have to return to at some point. Yes, for sure. But, uh, but yeah, that's our 50s block. We've done it. We've gone through the 50s, a, a decade special, a decade specification. Um, but we, that's not, we're not done. We're not done with the season by a long shot. We, this is just a, like a, an aperitif, an appetizer, if you will, <laughs> to get you to whet your appetite for what else we've got coming. Because um, in the next episode, we've got your first choice, Julian. We're going to be mm-hmm. going um, into the 60s. I don't know what year it is. Um, 1960. And, and into France, yeah, with eyes without a face, um, and I honestly I know very little about this film. Um, I I know of it, but I don't know much about it. So, yeah, and then we we just launch from there, um, just to run through them. So we've got eyes without a face. Well, in the next then, then this is the man who fell to earth. That was one of yours from seventy yeah. six. Yeah, so we've got some David Bowie. Um, and then we've got uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. We've got like, Buckaroo Bonsai. Um, other things, we've got, we've got Little Shop of Horrors, uh, Strange Days, Event Horizon, Gattaca. Um, you, you left out Demolition Man. Demolition Man. Strange Days. The yeah. masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> I, you smile every time you talk about it. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. I can't believe in this one season I've got both a... I've managed to squeeze in a Vincent Price film and Demoli- and a Stallone film. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Uh, I deserve some some sort of award it's for that. It's a shame they didn't get to collaborate, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure how that would have looked. <laughs> um, and see, we've got Event Horizon, we've got Gattaca, uh, Open Your Eyes, Vanilla Sky, and The Fountain. And um, I'm really excited for some of those. Um, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Ga- two films on that, which we well, um, Gattaca was a film I watched a lot in the early two thousands. Um, I on, on DVD, and I ha- I probably haven't watched it since like two thousand and five. It's probably about fifteen years since I've seen that film. So I'm really looking forward to going back to that because that's a that is a good film. Um, but I'm also really interested to see I, I, the the two things. <laughs> I know I keep smiling at Demolition Man because I know it's possibly one of the dumbest films ever made um but it has some really interesting things to say about uh, um it sort of weirdly satirizes action films um, I, I will say all i'll say is i have you know there are so there are several movies on here that i have not seen before 
Uh, I know I have seen Demolition Man all the way through. I know when I watch it, I will remember watching it. <laughs> I cannot for the life of me. I could not picture any scene from this movie. I could not <laughs> tell you. I know I've seen it. I cannot remember anything. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, the fact that this film has got like, demonstrate, yeah, it's got Wesley Snipes with blonde hair, Jesse the Body Ventura's yeah. in it. Yeah, I um, do dimly remember this. I mean, there's like, yeah. they fight in the climax in some kind of like circular room where they're yeah. sort of like shooting at it. Yeah, I've seen this. I just I the guy don't who played—I forget his name now—and it's really bothering me. The guy who played Humphrey Appleby in Yes Minister is the baddie in it. It's oh, it's amazing. There's it's a amazing. lot of one-liner, like action one-liners that don't quite land. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that, that's <laughs> most—that's most of early '90s sort of action cinema. Um, the biggie for me, though, sort of like you know, I think what, what's of the of the what we've got coming up. What's the one film? You know, from your your sort of selections, that what is your one film that you're like? Oh yeah, I really can't wait to to get my teeth um, into that. Well, two two that I have not two that I have not seen. I haven't seen Eyes Without a Face, mm. uh, even though it was my selection. I've never seen it, and it's always on the short list of sort of like greatest French and foreign sci-fi ever mm. made. I should have seen this long ago, uh, but also I've never seen Buckaroo Banzai to my knowledge. I'm pretty sure I'd remember that one, unlike Demolition Man. Yeah, that's that's one. That's another one that makes me chuckle because I'm I'm half expecting like an email or something after you've watched it. Like, you know, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I made you watch Valerian, so that's true. This is my counter to Valerian in that respect. Um, you for me, to? the two I'm really looking forward to Booker Bonsai. Uh, I really am. Um, the other one, weirdly, is The Fountain. Um, because I remember when it was released and I read a lot about it and it was one of those films I was really like, oh, I really want to go see that. That sounds really cool. I love the concept. And just never got around to seeing it. It just sort of passed me by. And so it's sort of one of those that sort of has, has popped up on like Netflix or um prime or something like that and I'm, i really want to watch that but i want to give it my full attention mm-hmm. and have never had an excuse to do that so now that i've got that chance i'm really looking forward to talking about that film so yeah it, it is definitely i mean i i love the fountain a lot mm. and i i come back to it in my head a lot um i, I won't spoil anything but i think it, that is correct <laughs> that you really have to pay attention and it can be clunky in parts but, mm. you know, it, it's kind of a experience where you sort of have to you don't have to let your logical mind go. But you sort of it is just an experience of a movie where, you know, it's mind boggling and interesting and moving. And what more can I say? You know, that's <laughs> what I want. I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's, it's having an excuse to be able to say, no, no, switch everything else off and I'm just going to watch this film. So it's going to be ace. So yeah, here you go, ladies and gentlemen. We've got an excellent season coming. We've got some doozies coming up. Um, but we've... I can't uh, we've wait till season up. four. <laughs> 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 now we'll have to, you know, select even more. Uh, do you know that this is, that the Tingler was our... Since it was the 50s uh, decade that we were discussing, mm. The Tinkler was our 50th episode. And is this it? is, yes, this is our 51st episode right now. 
counting wow. the uh, interstitials. The the um the bonus episodes and stuff. Yes, like you okay. know the uh, re- all the Red Dwarf stuff. I was gonna say Red, Red Dwarf really boosted us. There was almost like an entire season in and of itself. Really. Yeah, that was thirteen episodes. Yeah. Wow. So fifty-one episodes we've done of of, of discussing some of the best and not so best sci-fi. <laughs> Uh, of the 20th century um, but yeah so that's something to celebrate we're halfway to 100 episodes there you go that's a real achievement and so you know if you're listening along and to those people that I also know watch along uh, thank you very much for sticking with us and I'm hoping that this has been a you know you've enjoyed this and you've been able to enjoy the discussion um, you've had a week off of how or at least two weeks off of having to watch a film so you know you can join in the discussion and if you do want to engage with us you want to come find us please find us on twitter that's uh, at pod time space or we do work under the 20th century geek uh, media banner uh, which is the sister podcast which is what i do so you know if you want to email us you can at 20th century geek at gmail.com um and we will happily sort of answer emails um and you can find out uh, all kinds of bits and pieces but also the the 20th century geek media as a banner for both podcasts and all sort of little projects i'm sure will crop up later on down the line have got a patreon that's right we want to keep this ad free and we want to keep the lights on at 20th century towers so if you want to go support us we have a patreon that's at patreon.com slash 20 cg media so we can go find that it's in the notes below that's going to be sort of there now and on that podcast uh, on patreon you get a monthly podcast of, of me giving my 30 minute thoughts you get a quarterly podcast of us talking to creators, all kinds of different people. I just had a fantastic conversation with a guy called Jason Impey, who is a director, independent film director. Um, and also Julian and I do a weekly podcast. We are not only, you know, we did Red Dwarf, we did Westworld, and now we are doing an episode by episode discussion of The Twilight Zone, starting from the original 1959 series, starting from episode one and working our way through week by week, you will get short bursts. Episodes are about 15 to 20 minutes long. And we are talking about every episode of The Twilight Zone. And it's been absolutely stunning so far. Uh, as of the recording of this, I think only the first one's been released. So by the time it's actually out, you'll have at least four or five episodes to jump on there and try out. All at the lowest level. There you go. Those podcasts, the weekly podcast, is at a low, the lowest possible level. So you can go in there and pay, I forget what it is now, $5 or whatever. And you get so much content because you're going to get over a year's worth of back catalogue. So go check that out. Um, yeah, and I really like that because I, I want people to, you know, support. And I think, you know, most people can afford that, you know, uh, lower level. Um, and, you know, uh, when you when you uh, become a, a patron on Patreon, do you do you have access to all those past links? Yep. They're all there. Yeah, everything. So the moment you set in, you, so you get the set... whole library. Oh, yeah. You get a massive back catalogue of stuff. You get an RSS feed. You, you you get a link that you just set up. It's really easy. And then that's it. On whatever device you are on, you will have a full back catalogue of every podcast that's on there. In addition to that, there's been posts that I've put on there about behind the scenes things. So we're actually, I've, I've been working with Julian as, as my sort of publisher for Sequat, doing a Judge Dread book. And there's behind the scenes comments and notes about things on that on there. So you get all kinds of bits and pieces and there will be more stuff in the future. So it's an absolute treasure trove of 
um, as we refer to in the intro, I'm, I'm really fond of the intro I've done for the sci- uh, for the Twilight Zone things. Uh, mm. An abundance of waffle and substance um, <laughs> is how I like to refer to it now. So go check that out. Uh, the links are below. Uh, the final thing, if you do like what we're doing on this podcast, go onto your podcast catcher, just go through and leave a review. Any stars, don't have to write anything, just leave, us, leave a review or a star rating. It helps us get up the charts, makes people aware of us, and uh, we can then become the sci-fi review podcast, as we say that we are. Um, yeah, we really appreciate it because, you know, this is this is great fun, Scott, and I always learn talking from you, and I have such a great time. I mean, if nothing else, this forces me to watch those movies, yeah. and then I get to see you, and we catch up, and, and we hash stuff out, and I always get to see from another perspective, and I learn from you. But it is a lot of work, you know? I mean, you're putting the podcasts up. We're watching them. We've got lives. We, you know, we're talking about them. Um, You know, there is work involved here. And if you enjoy it, bless your heart. You know, we really appreciate it. Um, But, um, you know, reviewing it, anything you can to, um, you know, to help us reach that audience or to to help keep the light on the 20th Century Tower. The light, that single light illuminating <laughs> just, those towers. It's just one cord with a bulb. That's it. <laughs> That's true. But, yeah. you know, electricity, it's expensive. C'est très cher in Britain. Yes. Uh, so yeah. we really appreciate it. I mean, tell we your do. friends, tell your lovers, tell your enemies, you know, force them to watch Valerian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they can watch. They can help us get through this, some of these films. Some they'll love, some maybe not. But you know, again, like you said, we've done fifty-one episodes. Even the the free stuff, even the free stuff that you're getting, you're getting fifty-one episodes of us talking about this stuff. And I think I am proud of every episode we've done. Um, Me too. You know, um, what you're not saying is fifty-one episodes. That's like. Uh... What like two hundred and fifty hours or something? <laughs> Pretty much. <yeah. laughs> I'm joking because we go on, but we do. Yeah, if we recorded everything, uh, we, we, everything out, it probably would be. But yeah, yeah, probably the only one that's not top tier is is, is my rant about uh, Westworld season three. But even that is entertaining. I'm guarantee you'll at least get some chuckles out of that. Um, well, I was going to joke that you know, I mean, I I, I liked. Uh, some of these movies this season, but they're no Westworld season three. I mean, <laughs> nothing can compare to the majesty. And you know, I'm getting production updates about season four on my phone. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see whether we return to that series. We really will. I had to, yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for sticking with us. Thank you very much for, for listening in. I hope you've enjoyed it and we shall see you or at least talk to you on the next episode for Eyes Without a Face.